This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello Allah, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Today we are taking a look at the often talked about but little understood pressures that young people face every day that can drive them to depression, anxiety, fear, and even self-harm. Nuf Ismail penned her first novel at 15 to explore issues including cyberbullying, social prejudice, and depression. And she wanted not only to connect with young people, but with their parents about the emotional roller coaster that is adolescence. We meet the young writer next to find out why she wrote this book and what she's hoping for in terms of change. Plus, we're also going to be joined by psychologist Malak Kamal of Thrive Wellbeing Centre to give us an insight into what kids are really experiencing and why and what can we do about it. Get in touch with the show on the text lines on 4215 or social media. We are here. We are live. We are on Instagram live as well. You can text us there. Get in touch with Life Beats right now. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Yes, it is Life Beats and in the studio with me is Emirati author Nouf Ismail. Hello and welcome. Hang on, hang on. I've got to get the right mic. There you go. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, now, Noof, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, you actually um, did something amazing. You wrote a book at the age of 15. And um, tell us the, the title of that book and why you decided to write a book. Uh, the title of the book is Tomorrow is a New Day. And the reason I wrote it was because um, at a young age, I had a teacher in school that told me that one day I'll see one of your writings in a bookstore. And that really motivated me. I wanted to be that person. I wanted to be the person that she was proud of. Uh, so I decided to write a book. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty high praise from a teacher and a wonderful encouragement. Clearly, writing is something that is within you. You love to write. Why do you love to write so much? Uh, at first, it was um, it was a form of relieving my stress or uh, whenever I'd be angry or something, I'd just write it out. So it was an escape for me. Mm. And then after it, I started uh, writing poems. Uh, I, I, I got into writing short stories. Uh, so it's just a skill that developed over time. Yeah, something uh, that just... Uh, was cathartic really for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in a, w- a way of getting things out. This particular book is, is quite important and um, unusual really uh, when we uh, talk about books that um, that are written by uh, young people, particularly 15 years of age. You wrote a book that talks about issues like cyberbullying, social prejudice, depression for young people. So take us through the book and uh, how you talked about these issues? Um, the book uh, is considered a young adult fiction. Mm. Uh, so it talks about uh, a young girl's life, the problems she faces in school, the problems she faces through social media, with her parents, uh, all of these problems. And it's you know, an indirect way to re- make people realize how their words can affect people, how their actions can affect uh, especially teenagers. You know, at a very young age, everyone feels so fragile. Everyone feels like everything is an attack towards them. 
And without the support of their parents, without the support of their peers, they feel alone. Which is one of the worst feelings uh, to feel as like a teenager or as a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old or, you know. Take me through being 15. You're now 20 years old, it has yeah. to be said. This was five years ago. <laughs> yes. Um, but take me through that time and what it was like for you, for your friends, uh, the kind of things that, that you confront, confronted, the, the challenges and issues. Uh, at the age of 15, um, like me and my friends, we all had different issues and problems. Some of us had family problems. Some of us had problems in school, getting getting along with each other, facing a lot of peer pressure uh, in order to fit in. And I guess that was one of the biggest issues that we had to face. Um, at the age of 15, I had my own problems, which were family problems. Um, my mother was sick for a while. Uh, she was undergoing treatment. So that really affected me. Mm. And looking at my friends, some of them were facing problems in school, trying to fit in and get along with other people. And I guess at the age of 15, we don't really realize how our actions affect other people. Give me an example of that. Uh, for example, if someone feels sad at the age of 15, we'd just make fun of them and rather than ask if they're okay or rather than realizing that they might actually be feeling alone. It, it was simply get along with all of us and like fit in. It's basically peer pressure at the age of 15, mm-hmm. like all around. And how did you cope with it? How did your friends cope with it? Uh, my coping mechanism was writing. That was my escape from everything. If I'm pissed off, I'd write. If I'm angry, if I'm hurt, I'd just write. That was my escape. And for my friends, it was different for each and every one of us. One of us was into art. Uh, one of us uh, liked to sit alone when she was sad. Others would like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So it was a different case for each and every one of us. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, in terms of uh, using those different coping mechanisms, because um, that is vital, that is vital to getting through anything, to have that outlet, uh, whether it's your friends, whether it's an activity that, you know, brings you back, brings you joy again. Um, It can be a really difficult time. And um, so in that moment, though, when you are so young, obviously, In that moment when you're so young, are there times, because this book is, it really tackles things like self-harm. So uh, what is the difference, do you think, for you between those people who go to the extreme of something like self-harm and those who pull back? Yes, you can be going through something really difficult, but you don't go to that stage. Um, It's very difficult for a person to pull themselves back from this state. Because it's a state of an all-time low. Mm-hmm. It's a state where a person feels so alone that they have no one around them. Uh, and I believe that it takes a lot of strength for a person to get out of that and actually like stop themselves from like self-harm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that everyone is capable of doing. And the sad part is there's not enough awareness uh, for people to feel like it's okay to talk about their problems. Like some people feel they're alone because if they talk about their problems, people will make fun of them. Mm. Or if they talk to their parents about it, they'll just tell them that uh, it's they're being dramatic because these problems did not occur when they were young. And I guess it's just that people need to be more aware that these problems exist, that people feel alone. And it's not okay for any any person to feel alone when they're surrounded by so many people around them. So vital. What you're saying is so important to hear. Uh, because like you said, there can be times when somebody is speaking up, exactly. they find the courage to speak up. But then they are brought back down again 
with things like, uh, you know, well, you know, that that's you're being overdramatic or we make fun of them because we don't really know how to deal with it, um, especially if we're young or even, you know, as adults, we still have problems as adults um, being able to talk about and express these kind of feelings. And particularly when they're so deep, sometimes you can feel like you're drowning in it. Exactly. Um, you know, and another issue is um, people think that just because they went through something similar, that you shouldn't that you shouldn't be feeling this way. Uh, it's a matter of um, a small example could be in university. If I take a course and I think it's easy, and then my friend says that it's hard for her, I'd simply think that she's being dramatic. Mm. And it's the same case for a lot of things. People would try to relate another person's sadness to their own. Yeah. And if a person says that it's too much for them, they tell them that I went through something similar and I was completely fine. Mm, mm, People mm. don't understand that it's different for from one person to another it's a different case for everyone and it's about acknowledging that and understanding that everybody's experience is different and opening up those conversations which is what we're doing today on life beats with Noof ismail young emirati writer you've got a second book coming up we're going to continue the conversation with Noof next on life beats on pulse 95 this is pulse 95 you're listening to the life beats podcast Life Beats Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Yes, we are back in conversation with Nouf Ismail, who is the young Emirati writer who wrote the book Tomorrow's a New Day, looking at uh, issues including cyberbullying, social prejudice and depression. And uh, we left off uh, Nouf talking about um, the way that conversations around mental health are very awkward and difficult to handle. And I'm really pleased to be bringing into the conversation now with us uh, Malik Kamel, psychologist at Thrive Wellbeing Center and um, a professor at AUS as well. Nuf, you're uh, studying at AUS. Yes. <laughs> Malik, you are there as well, yes, which is great. It's wonderful. Yes. Um, but, you know, the, it's interesting. This is uh, really sparking a discussion where... How do we really know the difference between feelings that are normal? Mm -hmm. Because everybody feels sad. Everybody goes through difficult times. But how do we know that it's something that requires a lot more attention? Yeah. So I think one of the key points that we often have to keep in mind is that all emotions are very normal. It's healthy. They're actually, you know, they can serve many different purposes. And everything that we feel is is healthy. Uh, The difference between normal and what we say abnormal or when things start to cause a lot of challenge usually is we have identified what we call the three D's. Uh, one of them is distress, the other is dysfunction, and the third is deviance. So when we know something is having a huge impact on us and causing a lot of distress, mm. um, that's a warning sign. As well, when it's impacting our functioning, so our sleep, our eating, just being able to interact, just you know our general kind of health and functioning. And lastly, deviance. This one is a little bit tricky because it usually has to do with deviating from the norm or deviating from um, kind of what is uh, perceived as normal in society. So this one is often a bit more subjective. Yeah. Um, but basically along the those three lines, that's how we assess whether something is normal or has kind of crossed that threshold and is causing a little bit of, you know, yeah. challenge that we need to attend to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of your practice, because yeah. you're somebody who deals a lot with young people. Yeah. Um, how... What do they come to you with? Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, what, what are the kind of issues that they're presenting with? Sure. So what we see, I, I work at Thrive Wellbeing Center, which is a great center in, in JLT. And what we're seeing um, a lot at Thrive is people are coming in with a lot of issues that have to do with anxiety. Anxiety is very, very much on the high rise. Um, and, you know, when at times when that is not, um, uh, you know, dealt with appropriately and, and, and you know, um, attended to, uh, at times we're seeing self-harm as well. We're seeing some issues of self-harm. Um, I would say one of the main, you know, kind of other um, umbrella issues here is um, uh, a lot of uh, issues with perfection, uh, mm. high standards. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It can be um, difficult because, no, I, I mean, I imagine uh, you're somebody who's studying international relations. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you would see, you know, quite a bit of this at school, at university, you know, those who are feeling the pressure to do really well and how they might handle that. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure to be the best because uh, if you're just if you just have a degree or if you're studying what everyone else is studying, you don't feel like you're standing out. Mm. And yes. we live in a world where you're supposed to stand out to actually like reach somewhere in the world. Uh, there, so there's a lot of uh, stress on trying to be the best, on trying to overachieve. Uh, if you do one event or two events or if you join one conference or two conferences, it's still not enough because there's always someone who joined more. There's always someone who did something more than what you did. So there's a lot of pressure uh, on students today to become perfectionists, mm -hmm. to be the best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's a big piece here as well. Uh, one of the things we I talk about a lot with my students is this idea of a social clock. And sometimes, you know, and we're often running on this idea of, you know, we have obviously our clock of time, but then there's socially, what am I supposed to be doing by this time, by this age? What should I have achieved? And that kind of crosses so many different levels. It could be a social clock in terms of my interpersonal relationships, but it could also be very much in line with my career. So by 20, I have to do this or by 25, by 30, by 40. So I think this idea as well of the social clock really has an impact on kind of what's my clock and what's the clock uh, in terms of the one that's running around me and how do I kind of bridge the gap if there is one. Uh, that's very, very true. Um, we all have the social clock and um, the, the only problem is not meeting the standards of another person's mm. social clock, but meeting your own. Absolutely. Uh, if I have a plan that I'm going to publish my second book by the age I was 17, and when that did not happen, I felt like uh, I was a failure. Mm -hmm. Like everything I did was for nothing. And then I started realizing by time that if things don't go to according to my own plan, that is completely fine because this just means that I'm giving myself more time <clears throat> to work on whatever I'm working on. Mm. But this is very, very true that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and from other people to do everything according to a plan. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I, I think it... You know, yes, we talk about that for uh, young people, but for adults, it's just as prevalent. Yeah. Uh, and uh, coming back, I want to ask you about the role that social media plays in this social clock, because I feel like social media has really accelerated that social clock. Uh, more to come in this conversation with uh, Nouf Ismail and Malak Kamal. Next on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. Picking up where we left off, uh, talking about what uh, uh, Malik Kamel called the social clock. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's something that's part of uh, all of our lives, not just young people. It's not just putting pressure on young people, but for sure, it is uh, something that adults are feeling too. Uh, the whole idea that you're supposed to have achieved or done certain things by a certain age, particularly when it comes to things like, uh, you know, whether you're achieving in your career, whether it's marriage, whether it's kids, whether it's travel, mm. whether it's wealth, whether it's whatever it is. Um, I think it's really important to ask the question about social media's impact on that social because we've always had a social clock because we've always compared ourselves to others, which is why we have the whole thing of keeping up with the Joneses. But now, I guess, I think social media has just exploded that whole concept. Would you say so? Uh, Yeah, of course. I think social media has a great impact on everyone's lives nowadays where everything you do is on social media where people feel pressured to be the best because of social media Mm. because I can see that she's doing better than I am. And it's the thing is what people don't realize is that Social media doesn't encompass everything in a person's life. It's just what a person chooses to show you. Mm-hmm. And another thing is that people take advantage of social media through cyberbullying, where uh, they choose to attack people because people don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. They, so they just create an account and fight someone or post someone's picture with a negative comments. And they don't realize that these things affect people, even if it's a celebrity. If people keep insulting a celebrity and their own account, This person has feelings. This person can feel pain as well. It's interesting, um, you know, you talk about that, uh, the whole idea of attacking people, even even celebrities. You know, Julia Roberts got attacked for not wearing makeup. And she was surprised, you know, as somebody, she said herself, as somebody who knows herself, Mm -hmm. as, you know, knows who she is as a woman, is quite strong as a woman. She was really impacted by it and she was like, I can't I can't even imagine what young people must be going through. Mm-hmm. It's something that we don't think about. But a couple of really important things that Nulf uh, brought up there, uh, uh, Malek, in terms of social media, the impact of it. Mm-hmm. So let's start with that and then move on to cyberbullying. Yeah, I think definitely social media is a strong means of comparison for ourselves. I mean, I think we every time you're you're taking a look at that, you know, other people's pictures and posts and all that kind of stuff, it definitely has, it, it makes you ask yourself, what about me? How does this reflect on me? You know, can I relate? Do I not relate? Do I want to relate? Do I not want to relate? Do I yeah. want this? Do I want a similar post? Maybe I don't. And if I don't, that's because I'm not interested. Am I really not interested? Or do I secretly kind of want that? So I think it just creates a lot of um, questions. And, and, and at, at times, you know, it can it can definitely create a lot of anxiety. And I think one of the things we had mentioned is, you know, anxiety is, is kind of like this cluster of many, many things, but at the center of it is a key um, concept of control. And so I think we always ask ourselves kind of like, do I want, do I have enough control over my life? Do I have too little control? Should I exert more control? And you find sometimes people kind of going in behaving a little bit in the extremes of over trying to over control everything or at times saying this is way too much for me I'm gonna totally disengage and just not you know 
try at times in a way almost kind of like losing complete control mm. over their lives so um it's like the, moving between those extremes because exactly and particularly for things that you actually do not have control over yeah like meeting your life partner mm-hmm. or like you know becoming pregnant and having a child mm-hmm. you know things that you really cannot control mm-hmm. it just it can magnify yeah i think you know for us to one of the things we see a lot um, in terms of what we're working with in the center, whether it's, you know, um, adolescents or young adults, is definitely this battle with control and trying to figure out what is it that I do have control over? What is it that I don't? And there's a choice piece in it as well in terms of I choose not to have con- to, to put the element of control here. I choose to let go and let this be and let it take its course. Mm. Or I choose to exert control in this amount and in this way. So uh, it's actually playing with and getting comfortable with the concept of how much control we have over over our lives or don't is something that we, I think, mentally kind of uh, play around with a lot more than we think we do. Right. Um, yeah, and, and that's kind of one of the things that I think really uh, reflects a lot on some of these issues of anxiety that we're experiencing. Mm, mm, mm. How, how do we kind of uh, deal with that? You were talking about uh, the whole idea of letting go and that, that kind of peaceful surrender, I like to call it, of mm-hmm. you know just having faith that things are going to work out when you don't have control mm-hmm. over something, doing as much as you can, but just then realizing that you do have to let go and you will be fine. Yeah. So I think one of the the main pieces is fear is an immediate kind of reaction to a current situation. But anxiety is actually not present oriented. It's future oriented. Anxiety is worrying about what might come. Okay. And so when we think of control and trying to let go of control, one of the key pieces of surrendering is realizing that some of these things that we think we're working towards or we need to have control over in order to achieve something that is to come some of these thoughts and associations are actually quite faulty and so when you realize that um, these what you're trying to control isn't actually going to impact the future or that it's a it's a misconception Mm. or that it may not have the impact that you imagine you realize that actually there might not be all that need for this imposed control right now because it might not even lead you, to you, what you have in your mind, yeah. which is the future-oriented state. Yeah, no. Yeah, this is very, very true because uh, we feel like we need to be in control over everything that happens in our lives. And the idea of just letting go, uh, I do believe that sometimes you reach a point where we just surrender and we just don't want to take any part of what happens in our lives. And we'd rather just leave it all up to faith or we just go with the flow and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I believe that this is very, very, very true. And like we all go through it at some point mm-hmm. where we're worrying too much about the future, where we get anxiety from things that we don't even know why we're getting anxiety from these things. Exactly. And it's very hard for us to be able to cope with it or to be able to work with it. It can be even harder for uh, young people to think for for a moment, um, well, it's fine, it's going to be fine. It can be even worse when you're young and you think, oh, it's imminent, it's going to happen, but it's actually got nothing to do with what's coming up in your future. 
Uh, but we're going to continue the conversation with Malag and North next on Life Beats. And going to talk about how do we start those conversations between ourselves, between our friends, between our loved ones, so that we can turn all of this around. That's next on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Yes, we're in the final minutes now with Malak Kamel, psychologist at Thrive Wellbeing Center, and Nuf Ismail. She is a student at AUS. Malak also lectures at AUS, and we are talking uh, mental health, particularly for young people, but really for everyone. I think uh, we've all learned so much through this show, um, and something that. Uh, we need to now talk about is how do we turn these conversations around because we started off by saying that this can be really awkward really difficult when somebody speaks up north particularly if they're young and they say you know well i'm not feeling right um you know i'm just i i I feel sad and i feel depressed or i feel anxious how do we then come back how would you like people to respond when somebody says that um i think that um one of the problems is that people don't feel like they can talk to their peers or friends about these things because they wouldn't understand. So uh, one of them could be that um, peers can make everyone around them feel like they can be talked to. Another thing is having more institutions or organizations in which people can go and talk to someone because there are, there are people that would rather talk to a stranger rather than someone they know because they'd rather not show them that they're weak. It's true because yeah. you don't want to feel judged. Exactly. Yeah. Because if what if they don't go through the same thing? How are they supposed to understand? Because you, yeah. you brought up something um, uh, when we were talking off air about the fact that we're going through things right now that are completely different to the way that our parents were going through, our uncles and aunties and whoever. Exactly. You know, they can have really good intentions of trying to help us sometimes, um, but they might not be. And this is with absolute love and respect um, to them. Uh, they might not actually be the right person to talk to. I think it's it's very important for parents to say that, like, I'm not capable of having this conversation with you because I cannot provide you with the right information. Like, I will be there, I will hear you out, and I am there for you. But I will take you to someone who can give you the right help. And I think that is very important. It's okay to say I don't know. And it's okay to say I can't relate, but I understand. It's very normal for a person to say that. And if people actually start saying these things, I think that this would be a great step towards actually reaching a solution. Mm-hmm. I think you're spot on. But why is it so difficult, Malik, um, for parents to do that, for you know those who are, are carers? Why is it so difficult to let go and say, you know, I will take you to somebody? Is it the stigma behind going to see a mental health professional? I think there still is definitely a stigma, but I... I want to say I feel like we're we're moving away from that actually. I I'm I'm happy to see that at uh, at the center at at Thrive at, at Thrive Wellbeing Center but kind of everywhere really uh, we're seeing a lot more parents bringing their children um more so the children adolescents usually either hopefully will maybe try to make it on <laughs> yeah. on their own it's adolescence is is a bit of a, a mm. difficult time but we are seeing people that are bringing their children um 
not really sure what's going on and, and they know that they need um, a bit of uh, support from a professional. I think in situations where parents are struggling to say, uh, to be willing to access uh, professional support, honestly, I feel the main thing is often fear, fear of the unknown. People don't know what psychologists do. People are uh, concerned about how it might impact their child. Um, There's the idea, that there is still the idea, I think, that um, that you're going to be labeled as crazy. Yeah. To a certain extent, yes, there is this, um, this idea. But at the same time, we're also shifting. There's a huge paradigm shift, I think, in terms of our awareness of wellness yes um definitely in the sense of physical uh physical health i think we've see we see a lot of that you even see a lot of that on social media you know how people are becoming a, taking a lot more charge of their physical health right um people are active more or, or taking care of their health more eating better uh you know all that kind of stuff i think we are slowly shifting into that as well in terms of our mental health um you had brought up uh the point of the uh the, the egg, egg. <laughs> exactly the egg. did you see this this is so fascinating because uh this was the egg that broke instagram um and uh it got millions and millions and millions of likes it was uh, it's called the the world record egg um and the the idea was for it to become the most liked egg uh, on social media and indeed that's exactly what happened so more than 52 million people liked the original picture i'm sure it's more by now um, the actual account has got uh, 10.1 million followers and it's literally just a picture of an egg. <laughs> just an egg. And then, so they left this up and everybody did their memes because you have to do memes with these kind of things and, and, and it went viral. Mm -hmm. It did what it was meant to do. And then the egg cracked, which is exactly the point. It became, it actually was revealed to be a mental health campaign, mm -hmm. which I think is so clever because mm -hmm. no, like, you know, if you say to someone, let's talk about mental health, nobody wants to talk about mental health. But if you put something like this out there, um, and so then when you clicked on the link to this cracked egg, you actually got worldwide uh, locations of uh, organizations that help with mental health, mm -hmm. you know, all over the world, mm -hmm. which was incredible. Even the egg cracked under, even the egg cracked yeah. under all that popularity, right? Right, <laughs> exactly, because yeah. it's going to get to all of us. But you know that, like you said, that brings um, to light a really important point about being creative about how how we approach these kind of things, um, and to say. You know, it's okay. Everybody cracks. Yeah, everybody feels the pressure. Yeah, I think we've we've come to realize that there are two to three kind of key points um, that are right now at the core of us kind of moving forward with um, mental health and our mental health awareness. Mm. One one of the key pieces is social support, support, and, and feeling like you are socially supported. And let me know, Nuf, what you think of this. Is I find to be um, and research is finding to be the key, key element in people either seeking help um, and uh, recovering from whatever difficulty they're going through. Another is, and at the, at, the, at the core of that, even prior to that, is this idea of being able to express oneself. If you're able to, you know, recognize how you feel, become, you know, increasing that emotional awareness and emotional intelligence, or as we call it, EQ. <laughs> uh, if you have that emotional awareness and you're able to express how you feel, that in and of itself aids in increasing that mental health awareness. It, it, it you know, kind of creates a bit of a ripple effect. Um, 
And lastly, resilience. So there's a lot of work that's being done on how we can become more resilient um, and resilient studies and, and what we call bouncing back. So through a difficult time, are you like glassware against the wall? You would crack and or, or kind of break it and fall? Or are you kind of uh, a bit more flexible and we can, you know, upon kind of hitting that wall, you will be able to bounce back? Um, so I think those those kind of pieces of resilience, verbal expression and social support at the core of kind of that mental health awareness. I don't know what you think, Noor. But. Uh, yeah, that is actually very true. And uh, the idea of social support mm. is one of the main things that motivate people to speak. It's what makes people think that they're not alone and actually believe it. Uh, and I believe that um, another step, like an, a really important step is By supporting people, we don't tell them that you need to fix your problem or that you have a problem that you need to get it diagnosed or something. We tell them that you are improving your mental health. Mm. And this is a way of supporting. This is a way of showing people that they're not alone, not just the people around us, but everyone who feels alone in the world, that this is not a problem. This is just you improving your mental health. Yeah, it's like working a muscle. Exactly. Right? You go to the gym to work out your muscles Uh, to work out for your physical health, like you said, Manek. But um, we don't think of doing that as well and investing the time and the effort into our mental health. And there's so many different ways of doing it. And um, hopefully this discussion has started something more. And I'm, I'm hoping to continue this because we've run out of time, but we need to talk more about this and the kind of ways that we can do it. And I want to thank you both so much, Nuf Ismail, Amazing to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It was really amazing. And Malak Kamal, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me and uh, a really great discussion. Thank amazing. You amazing. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.